Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, the host of this podcast. And after spending my entire career in the sports sales industry, I wanted to continue to find ways to give back to individuals that want to get into this business or individuals that are currently in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'll have the privilege to sit down with top-ranking professionals in our industry. You'll hear their career path, what they look for in successful people, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Time certainly flies. It's crazy to think it's season four of 52 Weeks of Hustle already. With season four, I'm going to have the privilege of sitting down with industry experts to discuss their career path. We're going to discuss three key topics that are current in the industry and three hustle hot seat questions. And... Three pieces of advice, all under 24 minutes. Now, on to our guests this week. Gaining experience early on in your life and your career is always beneficial for the long term. Our next guest started gaining real-life experience very early on and has been able to turn that into a very successful career. I'm excited to have Mike Rogers, Senior Director of Ticket Sales and Membership Experience at the Vancouver Canucks. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trav. Happy to be here, man. Very excited to have you, Mike, and, and to certainly dive into your career. And, and going back to the beginning, you grow up in Chicago, you attend Ohio University, receive a degree in sports administration. And through that time, you went above and beyond and received not one, but four different internships in both minor league baseball and college athletics. Why was it beneficial for you to gain so much experience? Yeah, so I, I think early on, like in your career, especially when you're in college, like you try to find different opportunities just to put yourself out there, right? Um I think it's important that you hear this added of sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, and you have to put yourself in a position that like you're capitalizing on your on the relationships that you're building early on in your career. Um, you never know where people might go once you meet them. And and I think the opportunity with internships, not only are you learning things, but you're also building things on your resume that shows not only are you someone that's going to be able to learn on the fly, take on new challenges, but you actually are someone that wants it. Right. So I I think the opportunity with internships, it's something that, you know, as an employer, like you look at someone's resume, like you can have your GPA there. That's great. Obviously, you you want to be able to show that like you can have that work ethic to succeed in, in school. But you also need to be able to show that, all right, like what are the added things that you do that can help build to your plate, build to your resume, build to your skill set? Because oftentimes, obviously, when you're working in sports, there's a ton of hours. You, you got to have a gritty mindset. And I, I think having those sorts of internships help show, all right, like these are the things that I'm going to be able to do in my career. And I'm someone that's going to be willing to go out there and, and, and get it because sometimes it's just outworking the rest of the crew. Right. And I, and I think that's some of the things that you learn early on in your internships. And you also learn how to just get your, get your hands dirty. Yep. Right. And I, I think no, no matter where you go in your career, like you're going to have to continue to do that. You know, Mike, and you know, throughout that answer, you said, you know, work ethic and hustle and effort and, and getting your hands dirty. And I think that's a big key to any success, no matter whether you're an intern or you're full time and you've been in this business for a long time. And you even back to the beginning, you end up interviewing with the Boston Red Sox. You talked about kind of the the who who do you know? You interview with them during your fall semester, but you still had a semester left in school. And so what's your advice on following up with leaders in the industry to still stay top of mind? Yeah. So I, I, it's funny because I, I think it happens all too often, right? Where you, you you go through the work of reaching out to people on LinkedIn, asking for a call, setting 30 minutes up for someone. And I, I think the Red Sox example was the example that I try to use on calls when I when I connect with college students, right? It's, it's one thing to go out and have that conversation, but 
you're kind of always interviewing for that next job, right? So what are the things that you're doing to stay top of mind? And I, I think that, you know, in sales, we always often have to teach, all right, like, how are you following up with people? How are you staying on people's radar? And I think it's important that as students go out and have those early conversations, whether they're a freshman or a sophomore, um, that you have to stay on, on people's minds because, as you know, in the industry, like roles are, are constantly changing. Roles are constantly opening up. Um, so when you're on someone's radar, it's like, hey, I have this role open. I talked to someone, you know, six months ago. You know, it, it's it's easier to transition into that phase of being on their radar if you've not only had a conversation with them, you followed up. And it doesn't have to be a, hey, you're sending them a note every week, right? right? But can you do some sort of cadence where it's like once every other month, you're shooting them a note, checking in to see how things are going. Like it's it's the little things, the little things do matter. And I think that's just something that shows, all right, like, is this someone that actually wants to be in this industry? Is this someone that's actually going to work hard and put themselves in the right foot to be successful? Because at the end of the day, like, you know, in sports, that's that's sometimes all it, it takes, right, is to, is to do those little things to help set yourself apart from the rest of the crew. Absolutely. And Mike, you obviously did did the little things right and, you know, kept in touch because your career starts off the Red Sox. And it wasn't always easy for you. And you struggled early on in the sales process. What's your advice to listeners on being able to overcome some of those early obstacles? Yeah. So I <laughs> I say this to our team all the time, too. Uh, I'm going to give uh, my girl, Kate Sullivan, a shout out. I, I remember the first day I walked into the Red Sox office and looking at some of the numbers. We used to have this little sales board in the old sales academy where you had the rankings and where everyone was at. And uh, I remember walking. I said, three seats to the left of this uh, girl, Kate Sullivan. She's the uh, inside sales manager yep. of the Celtics now. And I remember looking at it and being like, wow, this girl Sully is at like 600K. I'm struggling just like picking up the phone. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? How am I going to yeah. get there? Now you're going to compete. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I think for me, it just became one of those things where like I moved to Boston. I didn't know anyone there. I was super passionate about working in sports. Like most of my friends from college either stayed in Ohio or stayed in the Midwest. So they were seeing each other all the time. And for me, I was like, all right, like I've, I made a sacrifice here. And like, I, I got to at least give it my all and I had to try it. Um, and for me, I think it was just constantly working, right? Constantly working. And I took the approach of, all right, I'm not good at this. How do I become good at it? So it became practice, right? And it sounds very, very like, I'd say corny, but like I would do things where like I would struggle on phone calls, right? And I have certain situations that would come up on calls and I'm like, I'm constantly hearing these things. I'm constantly challenged with how do I respond or how do I move the conversation forward? So yep. what I used to do is I used to just write it down. Like I would write down these moments that I was struggling. And then at the end of the day, I would just find some time, maybe it was 15, 20 minutes. And I would just sit there and practice like, all right, how do I respond to this? How do I respond to this? And then it became one of those situations where as I worked through it, the next time I heard that conversation on the phone call, I knew exactly how I wanted to respond. And as you continue to kind of practice through those things, it's kind of like you take the sports analogy, right? You don't just walk into the game. LeBron James is one of the best players in the world, right? He doesn't just walk on the court and say, all right, I'm going to drop 40. You hear the work, the stories about Kobe's work ethic and him being like the first one in the gym at like 3 a.m. in the morning. Right. That's the best player in the world, right? If he's putting in that work to to perfect his craft, you know, that's what we got to do on our end. If, if you want to be successful, right? Yep. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, Mike, you, you had a lot of success. And after a few years with the Red Sox, you started getting a really good understanding of the business. Things came around for you. And then you move out west to the Oakland A's, first in group sales, and then the manager of group sales. Why was the leadership you know, path the right fit for you? Yeah, so I, I think it goes back into that last question that you had, right? Like, I, for me, I was, I was someone that, you know, initially didn't have success in the role. It, it took me a while to start figuring some things out. And it was the things that I had to work on, right? And I, I was someone that I looked into that role, I looked into how I was performing, and I knew the things that I had to do to get better. And as I did that, I stepped into a role in Oakland where, you know, I wasn't a manager or anything at the start. It was just, hey, I'm someone that, you know, I've, I've had some experience. I've had some success elsewhere. The A's were going through some some changes on the staffing front. I was part of a group that went from, I think, the year before I got there, they had like 12 people on the sales team. To the time I got to Oakland, we had 40 people, right? We had inside sales. We had group sales. We had new business. Um, and it was one of those situations where, I was like, all right, like I'm here to build a foundation for myself. We have other reps, whether it be an inside sales or younger AEs on our staff. How can I help them? Right. I, I want to set myself up for success, but I also want to be able to help other people around me. And I think that that was why I kind of started to shift into what does that management route look like for me? Um, what does that path look like? And I, I think for me, it's more of you want to lead by example. You want to do the things that you're never going to ask someone to do something you're not willing to do yourself. And you also want to just be able to help people in their careers. And for me, I found a lot of passion in that. So once I figured out, hey, I'm passionate about this, I want to help with this. Um, the Red Sox thing is actually what ended up pushing me even further on the A side because they they had a role that opened up that I had a lot of interest in. Yep. Um, and as that happened, things started to kind of shift and transition for me in Oakland. Absolutely. And, you know, you had spent, you know, the early part of your career in baseball and then you get into hockey, first with the Pittsburgh Penguins and, and now the Vancouver Canucks. What would you say is the biggest difference between selling baseball to now hockey? Yeah, so people always say that uh, you're crazy to work the hours that you work in baseball because of the number of games. But I, I think baseball, you have this mindset of, all right, you know, you're going through the heat for 10 days, right? You got yep. a 10 day homestand and you know what's coming and you get a little break. You get a little bit of a stretch. I, I think in hockey, the schedules are definitely a little different because you might find yourself working 21 straight days which I feel like I've had a couple of times in the last couple of years because you have the weekend games that, you know, it's not a series. You find yourself a Saturday, then a Saturday, then a Saturday. Yep. Um, and then you're also doing the event side. Um, but in terms of the differences between selling, I, I think, you know, transparently, I think baseball has to get a lot more. They have to get a little bit more creative with the way that they sell, right? You, you have 81 games. Um, you have to do a lot of theme nights on the group side. I, I think I learned a lot in Oakland in terms of how we had to sell, how we had to stay fresh, how we had to stay in the market um, that I was able to transition and, and take on in Pittsburgh. Because, you know, when I got to Pittsburgh, they were coming off this long sellout streak. Um, it was post-COVID. So we were in some challenges that the team wasn't really used to. And I, I think we got into a position where, you know, there were little things like nurses night or educators night or first responders night that, you know, the Penguins, we we really hadn't had to do in the past that me coming from a baseball mindset, I was able to transition some of those things that you take from a baseball world to a, a post COVID world in, in hockey, where, you know, traditionally, like we were selling season tickets year after year, the, the bowl was filled and we were in a kind of unfamiliar spot. So I I think there's a lot of things in baseball that can transition well into hockey that 
Um, I think teams are starting to learn. You're starting to see more hockey teams start to implement group programs yep. and theme nights and things of that nature that um, as a league, I think we need to continue to do if we're going to be successful. Absolutely. And Mike, you know, on your end, just over a year ago, you joined the Vancouver Canucks and as you're leading the ticket sales and retention team and strategies, I know the easiest answer is it's never the same, but what does a day-to-day look like for you? Yeah, you you kind of beat me to my answer is that honestly, it's never the same. We were catching up right before we were on this call. And, you know, last night we had had our little long little uh, ring of honor game. So we were giving out bobbleheads um, and I was down on the floor running from gate to gate, yep. helping people bring boxes to boxes. So I, I think that's just the portion of like, Hey, whatever role you're in, like be ready to, to roll your sleeves up. I know I said that earlier, but um, you know, the tra- traditional answer is like, I'm, I'm trying to lead a team, right? So I'm trying to provide as much support to my, my direct reports, which is our managers. Um, and then they have a, a team of reps below them that we're really focused on training, right? Everything for us, like I, I talked about my background and, and why I thought that I found success in my role is just working, right? Like continue to find ways to get better day after day. Um, obviously, you know, I oversee sales and service here. So my background is more on the sales side. So I've been really heavily involved in how are we revamping our training program? Um, we need to continue to develop inside sales reps. We need to continue to develop our AEs to taking that next level. And like, ultimately, I, I want some of our, our staff to be like, hey, how can I have your job one day, right? Like, that's what we're trying to to build here as a team that, you know, when we talk about looking at teams across the league, like, I want people to say, what are the Vancouver Canucks doing, right? I want us to be looked at as a team that, you know, if someone across the the way in Toronto is hiring for a manager or director role, they're reaching out to me saying, hey, who do you know on your team that would be open to this? That's that's your dream for me. So, you know, in terms of the day-to-day standpoint, it's it's trying to make sure that, I'm coaching and developing our team, but then also just being in the weeds of the day-to-day with revenue numbers and, you know, our, our inventory on the single game side and and really making sure that, you know, we're working together hand in hand with our marketing group to set us up for success as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Mike Rogers, Senior Director of Ticket Sales and Membership Experience at the Vancouver Canucks. And Mike, let's get into three hot topics. You know, question one, we talked about you, you went above and beyond in college and had several internships, both in minor league baseball and collegiate athletics, which are a little bit different than pro sports. And so what's one thing that you feel like 
collegiate sports or minor league sports do well that you believe some professional organizations should implement it? Yeah. So I will say that, you know, minor league sports, like there's a lot more grassroots marketing, right? There's a lot more like you are, I will never forget. We used to go to like mom and pop shops around, around the, around the uh, city of Athens, Ohio, when I was working for um, not only the athletic department for Ohio, but also when I was with the Southern Ohio Copperheads, uh, which is like a summer league with bat team. Really? Yep. Uh, we used to go around mom and shop, mom and pop shops, putting up posters, putting up pocket schedules. Um, and I think sometimes like as professional sports leagues, we kind of forget those little things, right? We forget how much of an impact that could have, how much pride those stores take in having, you know, someone from the Copperheads or someone from Ohio University pop into their store talk to whoever it is that's at the front of the house, putting up things like that. I, I think that, you know, that's that's taken it back a lot of levels. But I, I think oftentimes when you look at professional sports leagues, you can you look at it as there's this giant overhaul of an organization and it sometimes gets lost to the community aspect. And I think that that's kind of one of those things that you look at some of the minor league teams and some of the collegiate teams, they do a really good job of that. And I think that helps build on you know, the support that they're getting. Sometimes we can be looked at as, all right, we're we're this big organization that doesn't have that sort of support in the community. And I, I think that's one thing that we could probably do a better job yep. at. No, it makes sense. Question two, you know, as we discussed in your career, you're, you're from the Midwest, but moved to the Northeast, moved out West, moved back kind of to the Midwest in Pittsburgh, and now into a, you know, a, a different country. Um, as you think about you know, you've made moves and, you know, most recently you're making moves and with families and, you know, what's your advice to listeners on be just being willing to take a risk? Yeah. Um, transparently, I told myself when I took this job, this is probably the last crazy one I was going to have in. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, the, the, the opportunity with moving around, like you, you learn a lot about yourself, right? I, I think you learn a lot about your career and where you're at. I think you learn about people Every spot's been different. Um, luckily, every spot I've, I've had a really good support network and the roles that I've been in and, and in the organizations that I've been, been been in. But I think at the end of the day, it's not being afraid to take a leap of faith, right? And and I think I've learned a absolute ton from every single role that I've been in, from a lot of the individuals and leaders that I've worked for in these roles. And I think at the end of the day, like, as much as I don't want to tell people, Hey, just go take a job and move somewhere. Like you got to do that sort of research and make sure it's a, it's a good opportunity. It's the right opportunity that's going to set you up for success in the long haul. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I wasn't open to, to moving around, but you got to make sure that you're just asking yourself all of the questions. Um, the grass isn't always greener, which I'm sure a lot of people know that, but yep. I think every single situation that I've taken, there's, there's been no regrets and there's been a lot of things that I've been able to take out of each role that I've been in. So it's, it's, it's definitely been something I, I I recommend for everyone. You know, and you're, you know, kind of a perfect example of, of willing to take that risk and it pays off, you know, yep. and, and Mike, for your end question three, now it's in the business side, you know, in selling in Canada and, and specific, specifically hockey, which is obviously a, a predominant sport there. What do you feel like the biggest difference is in selling in the, in the U S versus Canada? Yeah. So like a lot of people ask that question and there's a couple of things. I think the, the most generic answer that I, I always give is like the castle laws are different, which Canadian has this Canadian anti-spam law, which it's it's challenging to reach out to 
brand new leads that aren't in your database. You have to be a little careful with how you're communicating with them. You have to be a little careful with the emails that you're sending. Um, that's the more generic answer. I, I think the selling aspect is, isn't all that much different. I think it's more here the way that you communicate with people, right? Canadians and, and Americans are a little bit different. Um, you have to be a little bit more careful with, you know, I think the number of outreaches here. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's, at selling sports and, you know, we're in a great marketplace to do that here. I think that at the end of the day, like for us, like our biggest challenge is we can't become, you know, order takers, right. Our, our team's helping us a lot on the ice right now, which has been great, but that's a scenario in every team, right? Like you, you want to make sure that, you know, as much as you want the team to help you, you don't want to get to a point where like you're losing those fundamentals of, all right, are you asking those right questions? Are you pushing tours? Are you are you trying to continue to pitch with the all right, pitch high and go down low? Or yep. work down the ladder as opposed to, hey, this person's asking about, you know, season tickets for half season, and that's immediately what you're pitching, right? I think right. sometimes it gets easy to do those sorts of things. Mike, awesome. Ton of great advice. Certainly fun to hear about your journey. And to, to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Love it. Hit me. If you had a boat, what would you name it? <laughs> uh castle that's the name of my dog so i'm gonna go straight with that one what's a fashion trend that you'd love to see come back oh man the 90s bulls uh overhung shirts that uh dennis robin used to wear that, that'd be the go-to if you could go to dinner with anyone whether it be alive or it passed away who would it be oh you know i'm gonna go uh curveball here i'm gonna go paul Canerco. Chicago White Sox first baseman, retired now. He's my guy. All right. Well, to close it out, Mike, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Yeah, um, I think the first one's don't be afraid to fail, right? Like every opportunity for failure, like you're going to learn something from it. Um, That's number one. Uh, The second thing is just be coachable, right? Like take every sort of moment that you're in to seek feedback, positive and, and constructive. Um, because if you're not going to put yourself in a position to learn and grow, you're not going to be successful in these roles. Um, and the third one's to have confidence, right? Like be confident in yourself. Um, every day I walk into the office, I walk into the office thinking I'm the most knowledgeable guy on my role, right? And I and I think you know that might not always be the case, but you got to have that belief and confidence in yourself because I, I think half the battle, especially early on in your career in sales, is you fumble, you don't think it's something that you're cut out for. And at some point it's going to click, but you got to believe it's going to click. Right. So I think if you can take those three things away from, from this, um, I think you're going to be extremely successful in your career. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have some reps um, that I've worked with in the past that have done those three things and they're going to continue to find success in their careers. Mike, thank you so much. What a great career you've had. Always a pleasure talking to you. And I certainly appreciate your time and expertise. Awesome. I thank you, Travis. This is awesome. Uh, Whenever you want to have me back, happy to do it again. (laughs) Awesome. I really appreciate it, Mike. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thanks for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.